Good morning, and welcome to episode 454 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined, as always, by Sam Miller. Mm-hmm. Hi. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. We're doing listener email show. Mm-hmm. But you have something to say before we do. You were right. <laughs> Check the itinerary. I'm sorry. What 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 is this? You said that you had some quick banter on cricket ejections. Oh well, a few of you uh, a few of you did reply with uh, with an update on cricket ejections. We asked. We wanted to know what uh, how cricket ejections compared to baseball ejections. And um, so basically, the the the, the um, summary is there are far fewer. Uh, arguable calls in cricket, m- more straightforward calls, fewer fewer arguable calls. So that is one thing. Uh, but uh, and also uh, there are no managers in cricket. There are only player managers, as mm. if I'm reading this correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that would actually be you know that would be more significant than losing old Clint Hurdle or or whatever to uh, you know to the to the clubhouse if you actually lost a player. Uh, it's the captain, basically. Your your manager is your captain, and mm-hmm. so, uh, so that's significant. But the other thing is that um, that it's just it's just not done. Um, that it, it uh, I'm going to quote here if I if I can get there fast enough. Uh, I'm going to quote Graham, who uh, who writes um, catching up on the podcast. Cricket fan here, manager and anyone else cannot enter field of play ever. I wonder if I misunderstood the captain thing. Hang on. Mm. Poorly prepared for this. Hang on. <laughs> uh, so this is from v- uh, Vanit, who... Uh, I'm, first, I'm going to establish the captains. Vanit says, All managers are player managers, also known as captains. No one from the pavilion, also known as dugout, comes onto the field unless there's injury or equipment issues. Mm-hmm. So uh, so there we go. So that those two jibe. Uh, and then I'll just keep going with Vanit. There are only two judgment calls the umpires need to make. First is a foul tip, which is treated like any other batted ball, unless the batter is out if a clean catch is made. The second is a leg before wicket, LBW, mm. <laughs> where, the ump- where the umpire has to determine whether the hitter would have been out if his legs hadn't prevented the ball from hitting the stumps. Um, and uh, let's see. Sometimes the umpires will give the pitcher and the captain a warning if there's too much appealing on LBWs. I skipped number three, which talks about appeal LBW appeals. Uh, but... Even in the worst-case scenarios where the players are yelling and pointing at umpires, the umps just take it like champs and deal with it. So uh, so that's Vanit. Uh, so I'll go back to Graham now. Um, manager and anyone else cannot enter the field of play ever. Players never dispute decisions and are heavily fined for even slight body language to the contrary. Uh, umpire's word is final, though replay system has undermined this. Relations, probably more words than previously. Uh, so... I forget how I got to this, but I suggested that that, uh, that maybe we should think about manager ejections in baseball then as a reaction to European uh, formalism. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and Graham writes, to English eyes, they sit with hockey brawls, uh, which is to say, uh, kind of classic on-field ugly American behavior, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Um, boorish. Yeah, yeah, boorish. Exactly. Um, so that's interesting to think of, to think that uh, when our managers go out and uh, spit, spittle, and curse at their uh, at their at their authority figure, that uh, that looks like something that the rest of the world is looking at that and judging us. And 
And I guess uh, depending on your relationship with America, you can decide whether that is something that you are extra proud of now or <laughs> slightly bashful about. I feel like I should be doing a USA chant now. Uh, Graham also writes, aggression is all between players, never at umpire. Questioning call would never be acceptable. Home run, slow, trot, okay. I guess he's saying that a home run, wait, a home, oh, so a home run, slow, trot, Mm-hmm. is okay oh because uh yeah because i guess it, yeah that's interesting because all of our aggression is fueled to- like you would never uh the unwritten rules of baseball are that you would not show up players because mm-hmm. uh, because they're your peers and uh in in baseball umpires are not in any way considered anybody's peer or better they are considered the hired help mm-hmm. uh and i think that's what drives a lot of the manager ejections too is that uh power discrepancy uh all right and the other Quick piece of banter is that somebody. Uh, well, we also maybe this is why baseball is no longer an Olympic sport. It's just too much for for foreign viewers to tolerate. But we got an email also from Steve from New, from New Jersey who pointed out that in European soccer, ejected managers are forced to sit in the stands, or at least one was. He sent us a video of Chelsea's manager last year who was ejected and then forced to sit in the stands just next to next to a fan, next to a Chelsea fan, I guess. Uh, and so Steve speculated that this would bring down ejections as managers would be reluctant to watch the game in the stands with fans rather than in their office while drinking a glass of fine scotch. Uh-huh. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, all right. And then the, the one other thing is that somebody suggested that uh, my vocal doppelganger is Seth Meyers. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's not true, Correct. At first, I didn't think so. Then I went and watched some Seth Meyers videos, and it's not way off. All right, so then, of course, now we need to have a vocal doppelganger suggestion for Ben. <laughs> not sure I want to hear those. And that will do it for the banter. On to the questions. Uh, also, no one notified us that Ryan Webb finished a game on Sunday. So he's, he's at 80, career without a save. Mm. Albers at 83. I wanted to say uh, before we begin that the um, that the there's been a, a lot of talk about the the Diamondbacks uh, new new management structure with Tony Larusa as the chief baseball officer, and there have been national columnists praising this move because Larusa is a winner uh, and he's going to change the culture, and there have been national columnists coming out against the move because he's a first time chief of baseball ops person at 69 years old and he is a manager and who says he can do this job and a lot of that talk has centered on whether he is sabermetric enough for this team uh, because there had been some sentiments from the managing general partner Ken Kendrick that he wanted it to be more more of a balance between the the grit and heart Towers Gibson uh, philosophy and and the Josh Burns philosophy which was I suppose it, the articles are making it sound completely sabermetric. And so Larusa did, he's, he's been asked about it a bunch of times and he's sort of, he's come up with more, more diplomatic ways to phrase his, his thoughts on sabermetrics than maybe he once expressed them. Um, but he, he does the, it's a valuable tool, but statement. And I, I always get a bad feeling from the, it's a valuable tool, but statement. I like the, it's a valuable tool and statement. It's more it's more inclusive because the valuable tool but statement is suggesting that there are ways in which sabermetrics cannot cannot help you. Um, and I feel like I feel like we've learned enough to say that that it's helpful in almost all areas, that it's not the only thing, 
neither of us is a, a sabermetric dogmatic person who thinks it's the only thing worth considering. But Larissa says that uh, he thinks it's mostly a tool to help you identify talent and then prepare the talent. And he essentially says that it should stop there, that teams have gone overboard and are interfering with the way that managers and coaches conduct strategy during the game by running the analytics and forcing them into it. I would definitely say I think that's a bad idea. And that would that would give me a bad feeling as a Diamondbacks fan. I mean, Larissa has, has a long track record of, of success, and there are many things to recommend him, but it seems to me that the game is going more and more in that direction of integrating coaches and front office and using analysis to inform in-game decisions. And it seems like seems like not the best sign that the new hire is is against that. I'm actually generally against conjunctions. Uh-huh. I, they, I find most of them to be unnecessary. Uh-huh. In this case, it's a valuable tool, period. Mm-hmm. And then whatever else he would have said would have been good. The, mm-hmm. To me, conjunctions take on way too much uh, significance and way too much uh, weight in a sentence. Um, and, uh, and to me, the, the words that he says after but or and uh, are, are all that matter. And uh, whether he said but or and before it is uh, ultimately fairly irrelevant. So uh, count me on team no conjunction. I will say, though, that I would I would love it if your Twitter bio were updated to be is a valuable tool, but. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Just so you know. All right. Well, there's uh, my, my thoughts on that. Uh, and uh, uh, one more thing. on uh, mm-hmm. We've been talking a lot about 3-0 pitches lately and the, the, the increasing prevalence of them. Uh, and I've been informed that Madison Bumgarner swung on 3-0 tonight. Wow. All right. Love that. Mm-hmm. He did not get a hit tonight. Um, I'm not sure what he did on the 3-0 pitch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, this question comes from Scott. He says, if Vince McMahon or some other billionaire were going to create an alternative to Major League Baseball, a la the XFL, what changes should they implement to set it apart that eventually Major League Baseball might be forced to co-opt? Perhaps the ABA and its three-point line are a better analogy. As a refresher, the XFL mandated natural grass, open-air stadiums, used an opening scramble instead of a coin flip, banned points after touchdown kicks in favor of one, two, and three-point conversions, and popularized the use of the Skycam. Sometimes in basketball or football, an NCAA rules make so much sense it forces its way into the NBA or NFL, but college baseball has no such influence. So if there were a baseball version of the XFL, what do you, what do you think would cross over? Well, um, I mean, it, it wouldn't have been inconceivable, I guess, uh, 40 years ago, although it, it probably is now, that college baseball's uh, metal bats would cross over. Um, I mean, the safety thing would always have been an issue, yeah. uh, but it does make for a more exciting game. And, you know, the way that metal bats can now be, you know, essentially engineered to do whatever you want them to do, uh, that they're very easily manipulated, I guess, um, <clears throat> makes it maybe a possibility going forward. But, um I mean, this would have to be, in keeping with the question, this would have to be something that uh, would enliven baseball, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, so a lot of the things that we've talked about in the past wouldn't necessarily enliven baseball except to the most uh, kind of curious, uh, some might say stale viewer like us. Um, so I have two ideas, mm. uh, one, of okay. which, uh, one of which slightly dovetails with a question that we'll probably answer 
later in the show, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one, which doesn't. And one of them, I've actually been kind of pondering this idea for uh, for a couple of months and waiting for the opportunity to mention it on this show. And I think it's actually got a lot of merit. Um, and here's here's my idea. Um, a home run is worth more if you're trailing. So if you're the losing team, uh, a home run counts for, say, one run more or two runs more. Uh, maybe it's worth more if you're trailing by more, but maybe not. Maybe it's just worth more if you're trailing uh, at all. Um, and then that would basically make it much easier to close deficits. I think that that's a big problem with sports in general. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think of a way to fix that. Um, it just doesn't, I mean, when a game is not close early, it's very hard to keep viewers interested. And if you had some avenue for closing the gap, um, it would make a lot a lot of games more interesting. Uh, and this seems like a pretty good way to do it. And you could imagine that uh, there would be some, some real twists if, say, a home run were automatically worth you know, one extra run um, and you were down by one and you hit a three-run homer that, well, that'd be like hitting a grand slam. Um, but then, of course, you would now be winning, and maybe maybe the fact that you're winning now gives the other team the upper hand. So I, I don't know exactly the the balance that I would want here. Like I don't know how many extra runs. I don't know how many different acts should be uh, should be given more weight. But basically, I would want to give in any sport. I think I would be interested in giving the losing team uh, some extra advantage uh, mm-hmm. so that they could sort of speed score. Yeah, oh, and the, I like that and, one. And the other one is just so obvious. It's not something that I'm recommending, but it's just so incredibly obvious that it almost seems like it like it almost seems like it might happen at some point in the next century. But basically, just like slow pitch softball, just take knock a strike and a ball off of the count and speed mm-hmm. everything up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the the pace of the game is the the obvious one. So that that could be it, or it could be just more more strictly enforced. Uh, time between pitches and everything. Um, if you want to make it extreme, you could, I don't know, you can give give people an electric shock if they take too long to adjust their batting gloves or something. But there'd have to be like a, a shot clock or something, except it would be a, it would be counting down until the next pitch and you'd have to have to deliver that pitch by that time or else you would, I don't know, you'd put the guy on base or you'd forfeit a, a ball or a strike or, or whatever it is. Yeah, um, for... For all the sort of Ken Burns romanticizing about the lack of clock in baseball, mm-hmm. uh, it also is like the one thing that baseball doesn't have that is kind of fun. Clocks are fun. Mm-hmm. Clocks are terrifying, though. We've we've already ruled out the shot clock uh, idea, <laughs> yeah. I, I believe, many hundreds of episodes ago. Uh-huh. But I, I could see why it would appeal to you know more people than me. Yeah, I'd like to see. Um, I think I'd I think I'd like to see just. All of the reins being taken off of of teams as far as uh, in-game strategy. I'd like to see I'd like to see players be wired up to the dugouts. Um, you'd you'd have a you'd have a pitcher. You'd have a headset. Everyone has a headset, so you, they could be directed uh, from the bench with precision. No more motioning from the top step. You could talk to them. You could give them scouting reports from. From player to player, you could use whatever electronic equipment in the dugout you want. You can use walkie-talkies to communicate with the front office. No, no limits. You can use whatever information you want. I don't know how 
I, I think I would like I would like that better. I don't know how much more compelling that would make it to the viewer. Unless you mm -hmm. could you could eavesdrop on the communications. If you could listen in on the headset. Maybe that. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay, next question. But then I mean oh. in a way, in a way, you know you're not gonna get anything. It just at that would just basically create another channel of of kind of non information. Uh -huh. You know? Because they they wouldn't I imagine that when they know that they're being listened in on they're not going to really give you anything mm -hmm. right it's not going to well, be interesting is it or maybe they would develop a code and then we would try to break the code imagine how much fun that would be uh, yeah I guess but like for instance uh, the catcher and the pitcher currently have a code whenever mm -hmm. a runner's on second base yeah it's right in front of you. And you've never once tried to crack it or successfully cracked it. There is a code <laughs> staring you in the face every mm -hmm. game. Mm, and you true. don't know it. And you don't bother. You don't know. I could be a science dealer. But Next. you're not. <laughs> I'm not, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So the related question you alluded to is from Matthew. He says, it seems like a possible blanket solution for the rising strikeout rate, increase in Tommy John surgeries, and longer game time would be to simply award batters a walk on three balls. Theoretically, the net effect would be that pitchers would throw with more control and less break, thereby reducing their susceptibility to UCL injuries, maybe, which would mean batters would likely make more contact and thus generate offense. Obviously, that's less fun for all six baseball fans who love a pitcher's duel, but everyone could have their druthers. Shorter plate appearances would mean shorter games and also the possibility that starters could work further into games cutting down on the minutia of committee bullpen usage. On the other hand, it could also create a scenario where batters treat the 2-0 pitch like they currently treat the 3-0 pitch and never swing, leading to a parade of walks. But there's an argument to be made that 3-0 is essentially a redundant count as swing rate is so low that the batter either walks, which he could have done after the 2-0, or takes a strike and basically returns the at-bat to its prior state of 2-0, where he's more likely to swing in which case his batters would probably swing more overall, leading to a decline of walks. So Scott or Matthew wants to know, would a would removing a ball from the count uh, required to earn a walk cause an increase or decrease in walks? And why wouldn't it work? Please shoot holes in my theory. Well, I think it would create a huge increase in walks, uh, and it would create just even more incentive for batters to play for the walk, uh, knowing that you're that close to a walk would essentially... You know, it it would almost become criminal to swing at a first pitch. Mm -hmm. I, I would think, uh, knowing that you're, you know, the the likelihood of walk is is just so high. I do have a an idea that I think might work mm. for this. I, I'm not sure if it would, but I, very often I it is suggested to us, or I see it suggested that uh, the solution is to add a strike, or uh, you know, to the solution mm -hmm. to the three true outcomes. Uh, uh, environment is to add a strike or remove a ball or you know somehow tweak the count but yeah. it really just I mean the, the incentives are still for the batter to try to draw a walk and so he's just gonna push you know that much harder for a walk and the incentives are still for the pitcher to try for a strikeout so he might just keep p pitching for a strikeout and uh, you could imagine a situation where there is never a ball put in play uh, if you do any of these things but I think I might have a solution I haven't completely thought it <laughs> Would you believe, Ben, that I haven't completely thought it through? <laughs> I would not. <laughs> I haven't completely thought it through, but I also haven't. I mean, I haven't. I'm not sure that I've actually even partially thought it through. Uh, but I like, I like the idea of it. And it goes like this: uh, a walk and a strikeout simply happen 
when one side is two pitches ahead of the other. So a strikeout could be on two strikes mm. if your first two pitches are strikes. A walk could be on two balls if your first two pitches are balls. And the reason that I think this works, and this could be looked at, but my impression is that the uh, the, the three true outcomes uh, mindset that pitchers and, and, and hitters both have um, is higher the further away you are from the outcome, which I guess, uh, let me try to say that again. Uh, when there are two strikes on them, hitters swing a lot. Hitter, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't get the feeling that hitters are any more patient now uh, on two strikes than they were in 1987. Mm-hmm. And when pitchers are behind three, three, uh, three balls on batters, unless it's a very good batter who they're not concerned about losing, uh, they throw strikes. They try really hard to throw strikes. They have good strike rates uh, as much as they're capable of throwing strikes, um, which they're not. But um, So the closer you get to that sort of negative outcome, the more these guys actually try to have sort of an honest battle with each other. And in this scenario, nobody wants to go to what would affect be three balls uh, as a pitcher, by throwing a ball, any ball, and nobody wants to go to what would affect be a two-strike count by taking a strike. And mm-hmm. so the incentive would really be to um, to be, I would think, I think the incentive would, from both sides psychologically, if not necessarily mathematically, would be to be very aggressive early in the counts to keep from uh, falling behind 3-0 or 0-2, essentially, um, early on. There's also the the fact that um, uh, it would it could you could imagine that it would slow at bats down because theoretically you could have you know you could have 50 pitches where <laughs> the guy doesn't ever swing once if the pitcher just alternates ball strike ball strike ball strike mm-hmm. but it would also be a lot of quick at bats you know a walk if I mean look if they're gonna walk Miguel Cabrera right now you know it takes five pitches in this case it would take two and if they're gonna strike out the pitcher who's batting and it takes four pitches now, but in this case, it would take two. And uh, so it would speed the three true outcomes, outcomes themselves would take a lot less time. And so we might not be as bored by the process of them, and we might not resent them quite so much. So I think it's a winner. Hmm. Yeah, I like it tentatively. I'd have to think about it a little more, but it makes sense to me. It would speed, speed things up. All right. Well, it might not. Mm, yeah. it, could, it seems like it, it could, but it might not. All right. This one comes from James in Sarasota. Reggie Jackson still holds the career record for batter strikeouts with 2,597. How many currently active major leaguers will surpass that total? And obviously the first inclination is to look and see who's close. And not a lot of, not a lot of players are close. Not a lot of active players are close. It's uh, sort of surprising. There's, there's Adam Dunn who currently ranks fourth on the all-time leaderboard. Uh, He's about 330 behind Reggie Jackson. And so you figure that he'll get there. Uh, He's he's still a productive player. He is still a a full-time player, more or less. Uh, He's still striking out a ton. So really, he just needs to play a couple more seasons or the equivalent of a couple more full seasons to, to get there. So you figure he'll get there. Um, but 
but there's no one really there's no one else within 500 strikeouts Alex Rodriguez is the only other active player above 2000 and then you have to go down another couple hundred to get to Bobby Abreu he's not going to get there Derek Jeter he's not getting there Soriano's not getting there really you have to go down to number 36 on the list I mean I mean Tory Hunter has 1500 something and he's not going to play long enough to get another thousand so no one no one is close Giambi, sort of, I mean, sort of shocking, isn't it? it sort is. of shocking that yes. I mean, uh, I was shocked to hear that Reggie Jackson still had the record. I would have, I mean, I wouldn't have known who has it, but I would have bet anything that somebody else had taken it by now. I might have guessed, I might have guessed that, I might have guessed ten guys. I might have guessed, you know, Gary Sheffield for Pete's sake. I might have guessed Mark McGuire. I might have guessed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, w- I probably would have guessed that A Rod had more by now. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, ar- I'm actually sort of already surprised, but. Um, yeah, I mean, Dunn's a, Dunn's a good bet. Uh, let me let me name some other names, because I'm looking at the active leaderboard, which is a little easier to for this, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ryan Howard is 1,100 behind, yeah. uh, which is about six six full seasons. He's not going to play six full seasons, is he? No. Uh, okay, so then we've got Mark Reynolds is 1,200 behind. Uh, he's only 30. He's four years younger than Howard, but is he going to play yeah. seven? I mean, he's, he's barely halfway there. I... I... I don't think so. Miguel Cabrera is thirty. Well, who cares if he's barely halfway there? He's younger. I mean, but okay. Miguel Cabrera is thirteen hundred behind. He's thirty-one years old, so that would be basically he'd have to play till he's like forty-two. So he's not probably going to get there. No. Uh, B.J. Well, Upton is. He's signed through about that age, but but yeah, he probably won't true. play as much. But he might strike out more. Uh, B.J. Upton is four behind Cabrera, and he's two years younger. Uh, so Cabrera doesn't strike. Cabrera hardly strikes out anymore. Right, also, yeah. a lot of his. So uh, B.J. Upton is uh, four behind Cabrera, but two years younger. He basically has. He's thirteen hundred behind, uh, which you know basically needs to double his career. But at this point, what what are the odds? He's in baseball in six years. Right. Uh, so then going down, looking for players who are young. Uh, you know, Ricky Weeks. No, Prince Fielder. He's probably not. He's. I mean, he needs 1,500 more. He's not going to get there. Matt Kemp is about where Fielder is. He's a year younger. You could imagine that Kemp could. Maybe. You don't Possible. think of Kemp. So then here's the best. So here we get to a, a decent name. It's it's early, but Justin Upton, mm. 20, 26, years old, 26 years old, already has 907 strikeouts. So he's already almost to, you know, to, to – you know, he's he basically has as many as Josh Willingham, and he's only 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he needs 1,700 basically. Um, and what is he striking out right now? He's striking out 150 a year, right? Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, one, 160, 160 last year. last year. So that's a pretty good bet. That, that's like eight, you know, eight years, nine years, and he's mm-hmm. only 26. So yeah. you, I would bet on him. But but the thing is that you know. Like, I pass a billboard every once in a while that says, like, you know, the first human to live to 200 is alive right now or something right. like that. Have uh-huh. you seen that billboard? Yeah, right. I've Yes, I've heard that. And so, you know, what we know about the sport, I mean, shouldn't we assume that in 10 years everybody's striking out 230 times a year? And that, you know, like, there's got to be – I mean, if the sport is really this crazy compared to what it used to be, Shouldn't there be 20 guys who are under 25 who do it, who aren't even strikeout hitters? But just, I mean, look, they, yeah, everybody strikes so. out 50% more often than they used to. 
right maybe I, more and it's going up well so the question is why haven't we seen is, this yet it's, it's it's a really good question pedro alvarez maybe although he's he started slightly late yeah i mean for, reggie jackson for, played for a very long time so that's i mean that's part of it he he played for what 21 seasons or something almost 3000 games over 11,000 plate appearances so you have to have longevity um but we have had we have had players play that long in higher strikeout times i suppose since reggie jackson whose career spanned the late 60s to the the late 80s um so i wonder is it just that jackson himself was such an outlier in that he lasted so long despite striking out so much Maybe. Uh, yeah, and he started He started very early. There are 163 players with at least 450 strikeouts, and the only other name that maybe has a chance that's below Upton, uh, or who has a decent chance, is Jason Hayward. And he's, you know, he's not, he doesn't have nearly the case that Upton has. So basically we're saying three? Three players? Done, and or are we saying two? Two players? Did we only say Dunn and Upton? Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean... It... David Wright, not impossible. David Wright's... Uh, you maybe could make a case for David Wright, maybe? I mean, if somebody, look, if somebody plays to 46, mm-hmm. then he's got a shot. Mm-hmm. And so if Wright or Cabrera plays to 46, then they'd have a shot. Maybe Mark Reynolds has a shot. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess... So Reddy Jackson... How far... But, I mean, Reddy Jackson isn't... Is Reggie Jackson that much of an outlier? What, uh, like, how many did Babe Ruth have? How many did how many does Reggie Jackson have more than number two and three? Uh, number well, okay, so, so oh, so number, Ruth is way down. Wait, so number two is Jim Tomey. Goodness gracious, where is Ruth? Ruth, uh, oh my goodness, Ruth struck out half as many times as Reggie Jackson. <laughs> Why did I think that Ruth was up there? Yeah, he, he was so, a yeah, high average guy. So um, Tomey, Tomey just missed it, and Sammy Sosa's quite a ways down. Mm-hmm. So. So there were a couple couple of close calls. Um, Andres Galarraga, number six on the all-time list. But yeah, you'd have to figure that that whoever I mean, the next the next generation of long-lived superstars, there's got to be someone in it. And of course, we're talking about. I mean, you have to you have to do this for two decades, and it's possible that the the strikeout rise will reverse itself over that time. Maybe it will. Increase, get to the point where some of the things that we've talked about will actually be done and and the, the rise will slow or will reverse and maybe guys won't strike out so much. But if it does continue to rise, then then yes, I mean, someone active today would, would have to break it. I mean, Reggie Jackson, on, he's only 24th in plate appearances career, yeah. which is a lot, but it's not that. I mean, there's five guys at least who mm-hmm. are going to have more plate appearances than that. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, yeah, like you said, he, he combined the two extreme yeah. longevity and, uh, you know, for his time, uh, extreme strikeouts five, mm-hmm. led the league five times. So, but I mean, on the other hand, 171 is nothing now. I mean, there's four leadoff hitters who will do that this year. Right. All right. Play index segment. Sure. Um, so this was suggested to us and, um, we appreciate that suggested by Matt. Who uh, who noticed some weird fun fact about Jacob Turner having the third longest streak to start a career without a win on the road, uh, which is a really 
convoluted fun fact. Is that a fun fact? I don't know how much fun it's I'm having fun. No, listening yeah. to that. Party. <laughs> uh, so uh, and it uh, so it, uh, the st- the the Chiron also showed his ERA and he had a sub four ERA, which got Matt thinking. That seems pretty low to not have a win in so many starts, uh, 17 straight starts. Um, I know it's the Marlins, but you think you'd be able to get at least one win. So my question is, what is the lowest ERA to not have a win over eight starts? He chose eight because that's about a quarter of a season. I'm going to discard the suggestion of eight and go a different direction. You can play around with this question. What is the longest no-win streak with an ERA under three? Longest for an ERA under two, etc. Uh, don't tell me how to do my job, Matt. Uh, <laughs> Actually, you can tell me how to do my job. Um, so I went to Play Index and I looked for streaks, winless streaks by starters, um, and uh, I basically uh, just did that and then took all the pitchers who were uh, who had ten game, uh, t- basically nine or ten. I can't remember. I might have done nine. I might have gotten ten. I think I did ten, but I saw nine, and so then I went to nine later. Uh, streaks since 1988, which is uh, we all have different time periods we like to use for our play index searches. Sometimes I think that baseball started in 1950. Sometimes I think that baseball started in 1969 when they raised the mound. A lot of times I like to think it started in 1988. I basically think that everything after 1988 is is real baseball. Everything before 1988 is pretty close, like real close, but so much change from year to year that it's hard to, to treat it with quite the same certainty and then everything before like 1923 is maybe even maybe a couple years later it's completely made up like totally useless not baseball not recognizable Mm -hmm. get out of here with that (laughs) stuff so i uh looked for streaks of uh nine or something games in a row and then i i simply started uh you know sorting them so i have some answers for you um and i I basically want to focus on three quick answers in particular uh, the longest ERA under 2.25 uh, is nine. Uh, sorry, the longest stretch with an ERA under 2.25 is nine starts without a win. Uh, Jose De Leon in 1991 was at 2.21. And then Jared Cozart last year, mm-hmm. last summer, uh, second start of his career onward. He won his first start, and then his next nine. He had an ERA of 2.23 without getting a win. Uh, which could, you know, kill a lesser man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's interesting, Jared Cozart. Uh, that slipped by us. But of course, the thing is that if you were, uh, you know, if you were an announcer doing Astros games or or something like that, you you know, by the end of this streak, you'd be talking about how unlucky he is. Oh, just such a shame. He hasn't been getting the support he needs. Then you know, it's bad luck for the youngster. Hopefully, he doesn't get down about it. Uh, he's definitely pitched well enough to win. But luck is so many different things, you know? I mean, you could say, oh, well, yeah, but he was pretty lucky to be born with one of, like, the 200 best throwing arms in the world. That's pretty <laughs> lucky. Uh, you know, he's lucky that he has a big league pitcher's body. He could have had that arm and been five foot two, like a lot of humans are, and that wouldn't have helped him. And he could have been mm-hmm. born in a place without baseball and grown up not realizing he had this incredibly valuable skill. And it would he would have died a pauper because he was <laughs> growing up in, like, uh... What's a country that doesn't play baseball? Russia. So, uh, so those are all lucky. But then here, here's the other thing, though. Right. Uh, here's the other thing. Cozart in that stretch, 53 innings, mm-hmm. 31 strikeouts, yes. 30, 32 walks. <laughs> yes. And so, so during this incredible luck, unlucky streak, he had 
the greatest luck. I mean, he was terrible. He basically, he was terrible by the things that we generally, uh, you know, give credit to the pitcher for. He also allowed only three home runs, which sounds great, but he allowed 71 fly balls and 34 line drives. That's a lot of balls in the air to only allow three home runs, especially in, in a pretty good park for home runs. So that's a lot of luck. Uh, and then furthermore, he had a, something like a 650 overall OPS against him during that stretch. But with runners in scoring position, it was 111 with a 111 slugging percentage. He was incredibly lucky. So, yeah. um, so don't, yes, don't nothing to complain about. No, he it all it all washed out, uh, and he is definitely not going to die a popper unless he's irresponsible with his money. Uh, all right, longest uh, stretch under an ERA of three is 13 games. Rick Mahler in 1988 and 1989. Kershaw in 2009 is the second longest with 12. Longest under 3.5 ERA is 17 games, which is a long time. That's Ryan Dempster from 2012 to 2013. And so Dempster's interesting because if you do the longest with an ERA under 4, still Dempster. Longest Uh with an ERA under 4.5, still Dempster. He almost gets the longest with an ERA under 5. But Fernando Valenzuela had a 19-game streak with a 4.94 ERA. Uh, so Dempster is kind of a uh, up to up to very recently is that was the king of of this uh, of this particular category, uh, but there's a new contender, uh, and uh, this will give you something to watch for as you watch. Uh, oh, by the way, the there are 15 streaks since 1988 longer than Dempster. Mm-hmm. Uh, 15 streaks of starts without a win longer than Dempster's. Those 15 streaks had an average ERA of 6.32. In case you were wondering, Dempster's was 3.42. So, big outlier. Um, but right now, Jeff Samarja has a 15-game stretch without a win. Uh, and during that stretch, he has a 3.2 ERA. So, um, he's kind of, in a way, is kind of in a bind. Because if he uh, if he goes two more starts, he'll pass Dempster's streak. And he'll have a, a lower ERA. But if, if in one of those two starts, he gets bombed, then his ERA will go above Dempster's. So it's a, it's very precarious. Um, but the interesting thing about Samarja is that um, by chance I kind of fumbled around and 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 noticed that actually if if instead of looking at his as a 15 game winless streak, 15 start winless streak, if you just look at his last 12, he has a 2.03 ERA. And so as as you recall, the longest stretch under 2.25 was nine. Right. And and if you just ignore the three winless starts at the beginning of this for Samarja, he's blown past that. Twelve starts, two point oh three RA. Uh, he he has beat all. He, I mean, he is kicking everybody's tail in a sense. It's just slightly, um, it's slightly skewed uh, mm-hmm. by by the by the chance three bad starts that he had before. So uh, he's got a shot to make some history. Uh, so that's that's the answer, Jeff Samarja. So keep watching him. Root root against him. And root for him at the same time. Root root for him and root against him at the hmm. same time. And we'll t- we'll probably talk about it more in the future because that's what we do. I don't find that quite as compelling as the the great Web Albers race. All the, the Albers fans out there and all the Webheads. I don't know whether <laughs> whether the Samarja streak will inspire the same devotion. Uh huh. Because yeah. it's uh it doesn't say anything. It doesn't it, there's no tragic. Well, I don't know the the games finished without a save streak is is somehow sadder and tragic, even though these are both sort of silly stats that we ignore in many contexts. Um, 
I don't know. This one just doesn't have quite the same emotional resonance for me. Well, Ben, I don't find you as compelling as you <laughs> used to be either. <laughs> that segment should have been sponsored by Brian Kenny. That was like the kill the wind segment for the week. But No, I, I agree. No, you're right. It's not as compelling. It's not as interesting a race, and it will be over much sooner. Um, so I agree. But nonetheless, all that was done by Baseball References mm-hmm. Play Index, and, and you have to admit, you, you cannot deny, uh, compelling or not, that would not have been possible without the play index baseball reference. No, I cannot so, deny that. So if you have questions like that, you got to get the play index from mm-hmm. baseballreference.com. And use the coupon code BP so that you can get a discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. All right, uh, let's take one more question from Paul in Los Angeles who asks, uh, you both seem like even-keeled people, thank you, who would not want to cross boundaries or embarrass a hypothetical high school kid. If you're watching that and happen to be charting pitches, at how many pitches would a kid have to throw before either of you said it has to stop and you just force the issue? Is it before 194 or after? He is referring to a recent outing by a high school pitcher who threw 194 pitches in 14 innings and made the internet very mad. Um, so if you're watching this game, uh, I don't know what he what he means how we would object would we run onto the field and stop the proceedings or would we just ask the coach politely to stop um is there a point at which you think it's too much um i i my understanding is that the kid who threw the 194 is that that's the end of his career he's not he he wasn't in any danger of getting drafted or right. or anything like that right yes so we've had this conversation before i actually don't understand the outrage i i think Good for good for them. Good for the manager. Good for everybody involved. It's mm-hmm. the guy's last start of his career. It doesn't I mean you know that it, it just absolutely doesn't matter. It seems very weird to me to hold uh, youth you know youth sports seventeen year old uh, to the same like health standards as you know Carlos Rodon or or whatever. I mean mm-hmm. who cares? I, I right. there's no there's no downside to me. Yes. Yeah. It's a great memory for him, um, and he doesn't need to throw any more baseballs. So I'm fine with it. it as far as I'm concerned, if, if we're talking about a guy who is has absolutely no plans to ever play baseball again, I mean, I wouldn't like if if it were me. If I were out on the field throwing thousands of pitches, you know, just even if I were just playing catch, throwing thousands of catches, uh, and you came over and told me to stop for the health of my elbow, uh, you know, I, I would ignore you. I, I, I would I would find you to be a busybody and bothersome. <laughs> well, I don't think Twitter has ever been accused of that. I mean, I I never had a future in baseball, and I almost certainly abused my arm. I mean, I would throw day after day after day as hard as I could until my arm hurt like crazy. I mean, my arm always hurt when I was mm. a kid. Always, it hurt. It hurt a hundred days a year at mm. least because I would throw I would throw as many I would throw until it hurt. And then the mm-hmm. next day, I would throw until it hurt. Um, and so I, I'm all about this kid. Gosh, and you sound like a seasoned, salty, 15-year vet who uh-huh. always says that his his arm never never doesn't feel bad. But yeah, we we got a. Yeah, I would object only on the grounds that the coach is clearly not considering the times through the order penalty here. He would probably <laughs> be better putting in a reliever. But yeah, we got a related question from Bobby who asked. Um, what does it mean for someone's non-baseball life prospects if they blow out their UCL? Is their arm never the same, or useless for the rest of his life, or does it mean that they just can't be an elite pitcher anymore? 
and it's it's the latter, right? That's my understanding. You can you can still go through life. You don't even necessarily have to have the surgery. You could you could play catch with your kid if you want. You just you know you can't maybe throw ninety five with pinpoint control anymore if you could ever do that. That's my understanding. I don't know if it's true, but that's my understanding. Right. Um, and then Paul in Los Angeles also asks, amateur arm abuse and the recent run of MLB injuries got me thinking, how would a major league team react if a potential draftee's family handed them a folder with pitch counts of every start they've made since Little League or maybe junior high? It'd be like a Carfax report. Maybe it even has things like weather and days of rest listed. Do you think, do they think the family's crazy and neg the kid because of this? Do they appreciate it and get excited? Does this data not matter to them at all? Also, has this already happened? Some parents are paying tens of thousands of dollars for travel baseball. How could that not have happened when that exists? It does seem like it. It, it does seem like it would make sense that, um, as, especially if you were a pitcher who, you know, at twelve was already thinking about the showcase circuit, um, that you would sort of keep these records, just like a, you know, a, a, a smart a smart person might keep their oil change uh, log so that when they sell the car, they can show how well it's been maintained. Um, and it really, frankly, doesn't even seem like it would just be that hard. Maybe it would be, but it doesn't seem like, given that we record everything uh, these days um, about our lives um, and that you know digital space is, is cheap, it, it doesn't seem like it would be that hard to imagine that like Little League would just start doing this, would start recording pitch counts for every pitcher in every game mm -hmm. and that these would all be you know fairly easily accessible if you had a reason to to access them and that yeah more or less at, at least a a good number of the kids outings going back uh to you know age eight would be available so i think i think a team would be interested in it i don't mm -hmm. know it seems to me that um there's a pretty good chance given how little we know about how these things actually work that you would just be, you would probably would draw too much significance out of these numbers, out of these records, and that you probably would have a lot of kind of false positives, pitchers who, oh, you'd, you'd be scared off for some reason, mm -hmm. but not necessarily for any good reason. I mean, I think it'd be, I don't know, it seems like maybe it wouldn't be that useful, yeah. but I think that everybody, everybody loves data, and so everybody would think that it was useful, and they would probably, probably would pay for it. Yeah, teams are are all for acquiring good medical information. They send their scouts out to do that. The scouting bureau sends their scouts out to do that uh, to find out whether a player has had any injury issues, any surgeries, anything like that. So I would think they'd also be interested in this. But yeah, I, I have a hard time imagining that it would come that it would decide a drafting decision all that often either. I mean, if a if a guy has been healthy his whole career um, and you're you're choosing between two pitchers who have been healthy and haven't had any serious injuries but one of them had a bunch of 140 pitch outings when he was 13 or something and and had shown no ill effects of that since then I, maybe it would maybe it would be a tiebreaker if two two pitchers were literally even in every other way but I have a have a hard time picturing a team staying away from someone because of that maybe a maybe a truly egregious 194 pitch pitch outing would would tip the scales a little bit i expected 40 names in that reggie jackson question i'm shocked <laughs> yeah me too it is very really strange hmm. all right 
All right. So that's it for this week's listener email show. Please send us questions at your leisure for next week's listener email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Please rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Please join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild, which now has well over 1,300 listeners in there talking about baseball. And we'll be back with another show tomorrow. So we're definitely answering the question we got about ranking Derek Jeter's girlfriends by hotness, right? Yep. I mean, haven't we already done that one? (laughs) 